But this morning, we're opening our Bibles to Revelation chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible with you, or if you'd like to grab a pew Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Revelation 12, because we will be reading the entire story this morning. And as we prepare to read it, I just want to remind us of the work that we have seen so far in Revelation, the encouragement that we have received. Particularly in the last two chapters that we looked at, we saw this great encouragement of what the power of the Word of God had in the life of the believer, and then what the power the Word of God had as we shared that Word with others. Particularly as we live out this church age and as we grow closer and closer to the day that Jesus makes his return, as we think about that third woe, meaning that there will come a day that Jesus returns and all those that believe in him, there is great rejoicing. But for all that do not, there is a great sadness that they never came to know Jesus at all. And so we're called to be witnesses, just like the two witnesses, to bring people to the knowledge of the good news of Jesus Christ. But now, what is that good news? And so we get today's story in Revelation chapter 12. Oftentimes, this is called the apocalyptic advent Uh, the apocalyptic nativity. And so let's read this story together in Revelation 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns. And on his head were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne." Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that there she would be nourished for 1260 days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough, and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, he who accuses them before our God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their witness. And they did not love their life even to death. For this reason, rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, knowing that he, was, he has only a short time. 
And when the dragon saw that he was thrown down to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time and a times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. And the serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and drank the river which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her seed who keep the commandments of God and have the witness of Jesus. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, as we hear these words, the word of your testimony this morning, Lord, would they be an encouragement to our heart. Lord, though we are wrapped up in all this apocalyptic imagery and metaphor, Lord, may it speak volumes not to the fear that it might evoke, but to the power and victory of an almighty Christ and King in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Make much of yourself in the reading of these words and the study of them this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I uh, don't want to take too much of our time this morning as we walk through this passage, so I'm going to try to be a little bit quick with it, um, but only in so much as I think there's just so much in the richness of this passage that many of us should already know. But I'm going to try to unpack it just a little bit so that we can get to the focus of two verses. And so as we open up the passage in uh, chapter 12, we start with verse 1 and 2. We have this setup of this woman who is, uh, in, who is pregnant and about to give birth. And it's a sign in heaven. And, you know, it's, one, it's curious to think about this sign, this symbol. And the way that I kind of think about it is like a, a giant movie screen was set up before John. He's like, all right, time to watch in the sky this great imagery of what's taking place. I actually think about it if you've ever seen The Lion King, when Simba kind of looks up to the sky and all the stars start forming these images and dancing. It's kind of like, that's kind of what I think is happening is this imagery that's, that John is seeing. But however you imagine it doesn't really matter. That's not the point of the story. But the point is that John is, being, is seeing something that is both past, present, and future. It's an entire story and testimony of all the things that have taken place throughout all of history culminating in a single moment that he is getting to see played out right before his very eyes. But as he sees this moment, at the very beginning, he sees this woman, and then he sees this dragon coming out to devour this woman and to devour her child. Now, as many of you know, I really, really enjoy football. Uh, I also really enjoy Georgia football, but this season has been... Um, a little bit stressful, to say the least. And, you know, I'm not going to go too much into it because I know we all have our different teams that we love, and, you know, I don't want anyone to think that I'm so in favor of one team that I hate another. Uh, but there was this game this weekend called the good old-fashioned hate. Uh, but I don't hate anybody. But here's the thing. If I had known the outcome of the game beforehand my neighbors wouldn't have known how much a sinner I was in the first quarter. 
If I had known the outcome at the end of the fourth quarter, my neighbors wouldn't have heard the things that I was screaming at the top of my lungs at that television screen in the first quarter. It was violent. Let me just say, it was violent. I'm sure there are many people, and by that I mean just the people below me and next to me, that are like, and he's a pastor? My goodness, what is wrong with him? It is just football. I live in the South. It is not just football. But needless to say, had I known the victory, I wouldn't have had to worry about everything that happened beforehand. But here's the good news about being a Christian. As we read this story, we know the victory. And so we don't have to worry about what we read beforehand. And so let us dive into this symbol and sign that John is seeing. He sees this woman, and in verse 2 it says, And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain to give birth. I want us to unpack this just a little bit. Because when we hear that verse, our mind should go to another verse found in Scripture. It should draw us to Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. And we should hear the words of God to Eve. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and in pain you shall deliver children. In our... Sunday school class, we've been talking about how the Old Testament is this grand story of redemption. But from the very beginning, Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were in Eden. They were in paradise. But when sin entered into the world, it all fell apart. But the entire intention of Scripture from that moment forward is one, that we would end up in the garden again that there is coming a day that we see the garden realized once more. A story of victory where we already know the outcome. Because right before God says to Eve, it is in pain that you will deliver children, he also says to the serpent that her seed will crush your head. Even from the beginning, even though they did not yet realize it, they already knew the outcome. But here we have this woman in childbirth, and she's crying out in pain. And then we hear this dragon appears before her. And he has seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems. This is one that comes out looking like One with immense power. The horns usually signify power and authority, and the diadems reveal this kind of idealistic sovereignty, right? Like royalty. And what's interesting is this contrast between the woman that has her crowns on her head and the dragon that has diadems on his head. They're two different words in the Greek. And we've talked about this a little bit, but the woman is wearing the Stephanos, which is the crown of victory, and he's wearing the diadem, which is this royal crown of sovereignty. And we read in the New Testament that sometimes it talks about how 
The enemy has given, been given the power of the air and the authority on earth to do as he wills, right? And so there's a little bit of sovereignty that's given over the enemy to have domain on earth. But what we soon realize is that it's controlled sovereignty. It's feigned sovereignty. It's not real sovereignty. There's only one who's really sovereign. But the enemy for a little bit of time can think that he has control. And so he has these, ten di- these seven diadems as an illusion, a deception to himself. In fact, later on in the passage, it says that he is the devil, Satan, the one who is deceived. It's not just deceiving the world. He's deceiving himself. And so this great dragon is also called the serpent of old later in the passage. Again, we should be taken back to Genesis to see just who is this dragon. So all of scripture, scripture is starting to unfold in just a short passage. From the beginning to the end, we're seeing this great story that God has always intended from the very beginning. That the enemy is coming out to devour the child. I'm actually reminded of a passage in Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. After Jesus was born and the Magi went to worship him and to give their gifts, they had first met with Herod. And Herod said, oh, well, let us know where he is so that I can come and worship him myself. But the Magi were warned by God not to return to Jerusalem And then it says in verse 13 of chapter 2, And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. What language? What testimony? What prophecy that John is seeing and being revealed the very thing that Herod was a tool of the enemy to devour the child, that the dragon could not stand it because he knew. He knew that this was the one that would crush his head. And so he wanted to beat him to it. But they were able to escape. And then she gave birth to the child who was able to rule over the nations with an iron rod. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And then the, women fl- the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God so that she would be nourished for 1260 days. There's that 1260, 42 times a times and half a time, right? We're starting to see again that, that number of limited time that God permits for these last days, these end things to happen. And so we have this story being set up, this Advent story of a Christ birth, a king that would come. And what I love about this passage in verse 5, and when she gave birth to the son, it was a male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. You know what that word rule actually is? Shepherd. The Greek word literally means he will come to shepherd the nations with his rod iron. 
Isn't that such a stark difference? When we think rule, we think oppression. We think one lording it over us, wanting to control us. When in fact, Jesus came as the shepherd to be a shepherd king, yes, but a shepherding king. And the rod of iron isn't one that when we think of, we think of, you know, well, I think of the the wooden spoon when I was a child. The one slotted, you know, so that it had better aerodynamicy to just kind of whip through that air a little bit faster. My mom loved that one. Scared me. I, th- I think that's what comes to mind when we think about that rod of iron, one that he comes to rule harshly with. But how it should be imagined is this rod of iron is the shepherd's hook. One not to punish his children, his sheep with, but the one that he keeps the wolves away with. One to beat off the wolves, the one that want to come and devour the sheep. And so this is the setup that we have. We have a woman who gives birth to a child that the enemy wants to devour because he knows the story. He knows what's coming. And then there's a war in heaven and the dragon and his angels make war against God and his angels and then they're cast out and cast to the earth. And then then we hear about the serpent of old, that same serpent that's in the garden. So we're starting to see like a lot of pictures come in and they're actually interplaying at the same time. We're getting two overlapping stories. We're having the the story of what's happening in heaven, and then we have the story of what's happening on earth, and they're being interwoven at the same time, and we're going backwards in time, and then we're getting going forward through time, and then we get to a new part, and we're going backwards again to hear the story told again, but from a different perspective. Remember, I told you, Revelation just loves to do that, to just keep retelling the story in a different way, from a different perspective, a different vantage point. To keep seeing, okay, what was it like in heaven? Well, the enemy wants to devour Jesus. Well, what's it like on earth? That serpent of old was cast down to earth, and then he was the serpent that deceived Adam and Eve, that put them into sin, that put the whole earth and all of creation into a spiral downward and downward and downward. We were just talking about this this morning, too, about how from that time everything just went this way. The, the, the presence of God just seemed to get smaller and smaller and smaller, put into a box and a smaller box and then a smaller box and then a single location and then kind of gone. But then when Jesus came, it came in a man and then the man sent his spirit and then his spirit is coming to be the tabernacle and God when he creates the new heaven and the new earth and then the whole world is once again revealed with all of God's presence. Wow. What a story that God is revealing before us in just this one little chapter. But here's what I want us to focus on, because we've got communion this morning, and it's going to be good. But verse 10 and 11. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. They are already here. We live in a kingdom now, not just one that we are waiting on. Right now, his kingdom has been established. And the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, and he accuses them before God day and night. 
but they have overcome the enemy because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their witness, and they did not love their life even to death. The victory is won in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what the enemy does. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony, the word of the witness of Jesus in our hearts and in our lives. You see, as we go on, it says that this serpent is looking to go after the people. Why? Because in verse 12, he knows that he only has a short amount of time. He knows his time is limited. And so he's going to do everything that he can to overcome what he knows is an inevitable truth. He will be crushed. I mean, again, football. But man, have you ever seen those last-minute scrambles to try to pull out the last victory, even though it looks like it's already written on the wall? And try as you might to try to overcome. You just can't. I don't know if we have any LSU Ole Miss fans. Maybe not. But man, that was a game. And try as they might to overcome, LSU couldn't do it. And in the Georgia-Auburn game, try as they might, as they were trying to make that last drive to win going down the field, it was all but over as soon as the interception was made. Jesus is our great interceptor. That might sound so dumb, (laughs) but I love it. I love that it doesn't matter how much things ramp up to seem to harm us from the work of the enemy. Jesus is our great interceptor. He is the great mediator on our behalf that has already won the victory. He knows in the last seconds he's making that interception. He knows it. The question for us is do we live by that knowledge? That's what 10 and 11 is about. That we overcame by the blood of the Lamb, knowing victory was assured, and by the word of his witness. And we didn't love our lives even to death. Even though we might taste death in this life, we know that he has intercepted it on our behalf eternally. But I think so much we live in fear of what that means sometimes. That we don't really truly believe and acknowledge the victory of Christ every day. To know that it's going to be better. What if we lived from that premise? That it's going to be better. That the victory is already won. What are the things that we would overcome if we actually believed that? What fears would be just completely wiped away if we actually believed that when we shared the testimony of Jesus to somebody, and though we had fear that they might hate us, they might think we're a bigot, they might want us to go away, they might reject us outright, what does it matter if we already know that the victory is his? 
Or what would it mean if we knew the victory was his when we stepped into dangerous places? When God called us to uncomfortable circumstances? When God calls us to put our life on the line? But it's okay. We don't have to love our life even unto death because he is victorious. He's already got it. He's already won. So it doesn't matter. Reminds me of our missionary friends who go out to dangerous places and put their life on the line because of the witness of Christ. The way we witness better is to understand victory. And the way we understand victory is to tell that victory to others. That's living it out, experiencing it, and understanding it to its full. Because we know, verse 17, the dragon was enraged with the woman, and so he went off to make war with the rest of us. He made war with the church. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the whole armor of God. You do not war against flesh and blood, but against the powers and the principalities of darkness. Make war. But know that may you make war from victory not for victory. It's already won. You just have to fight from that place to believe it. And so when we were going through this last two weeks of fasting and we hit these moments of temptation and struggle and the enemy started to increase his war against us because he wanted us to be overcome by temptation, to fail and to give up, we knew what that meant. It meant that we were getting closer to God and the enemy didn't like it. One of our elders said this today in our meeting. They're just like, I really wish the enemy would stop coming against our people. I'm tired of hearing about all the sickness and all the disease and all the hurt. Well, guess what? When we start hearing about that increasing, it probably means we're doing something right because the enemy hates it. The good news for us is that we have victory on our side and he doesn't. He might take our physical life, but he can't take what God has given us in his son. That's good news. That's the good news. 